This week, as I prepared for the text that I know is coming, and most of you, I know some of you, Ed often, he's like, what do you, I think he got me Wednesday night, probably caught me off guard, what are you going to do with that text this week? Because you know I, where I am, I'm working my way through the Gospel of John, been in it uh, for quite a while, and, and uh, we've already talked about it in chapter 17, it is a, the entire chapter is a prayer, it's the longest prayer in the Bible, and it is the most we have on Jesus praying, and it's this high priestly prayer. It's different than the prayer of instruction, the, the prayer that we know that we grew up singing or saying about asking the Lord for our daily bread. This is a prayer where he first talks to God, his Father, and, and wants to have his glory returned. You know, he gave up the glory, the riches of heaven, and came to live here on earth. And he's talking about that, and by what he's going to do, facing the cross, and he knows that the cross is going to be painful, but he also knows that, that God is going to take that and bring him glory, and it'll bring glory to God. And then last week, he prays for his disciples, and I talked about the fact that they're in the midst of um, needing protection. He wanted unity for them. He wants them to have joy, and those are just some of the things we were talking about last week. So this week, as you look at it, this is for those who would be coming after the disciples, those who would come to know Jesus after the disciples. And last week I said we could pick up on a lot of that stuff from the second portion of the prayer because we are his disciples now. But in this particular section, these latter verses, uh, it begins in verse 20 and goes to the end of chapter 17. The primary theme I see in uh, many commentators that I consulted, there are some other things you could pull out, obviously, but it is a theme of unity. Unity. You heard me allude to that in the invocation, that we as Baptists are not known for unity. In fact, I can remember when we left the Baptist World Alliance in 2004, Southern Baptists pulled out of that, which has about 50-some-odd flavors of Baptists in it. So it forced me to think about unity more, and here's what I came up with. I, I went to Barna. Those of you who know the Barna polls, uh, they did a poll last year on unity amongst Christians. And there are the two takeaways that, I'll give you two takeaways in a second, but this is the first one, that half of pastors, Christian pastors and Christian lay people, view unity as an agreement. Other terms were used, harmony, reconciliation, sacrifice, alliances, sameness. So that's one takeaway is that half of us look at unity one way or maybe different ways. And here's the other takeaway. Savor on that one for a while. The majority of Christians find more unity at home and with friends than in church. That was 63% of the people polled said they find more unity at home with other circles or friends than they do in the very churches where they worship. Well, I guess we shouldn't be surprised with over 47,000 different Christian denominations in the world. 47,000. That's reported by both Protestants and Catholics. And, of course, they both kind of point fingers at, is it an accurate number? It could be 45,000. Anything over 1,000 is pretty hard to conceive of. But as I alluded to, there are more than types of Baptists, and they have flavors of ice cream at Baskin-Robbins. I mean, there are seven-day Baptists. Have you ever heard of seven-day Baptists? There's such thing as seven-day Baptists. They meet on Saturdays. 
There, there are independent Baptists. I mean, we have one across the street. We are Southern. There, I pastored in Illinois where most were um, American Baptists. They're the, the old Northern Baptists. There are five-point Baptists referring to Calvinism. Um, I think one of the other, the fun ones, where my mother, uh, where Marilyn, my aunt, was buried, there was a uh, primitive Baptist church in that cemetery. And primitive, you know, you might call it hard shell, landmark, different ways. The thing I liked about primitive Baptist, they, at least the church where I pastored in Illinois before I came in the Air Force, there was a primitive Baptist in Champaign-Urbana, and they only met once a month. And I thought, man, I want to be the pastor of that church. They only meet once a month. I don't know. But consider this, 2,000 years before Baptists started disfellowshipping churches over the ordination of women, the Son of God prayed to the Father for future followers to have perfect unity. That's what you'll see in verse 23, that they might have perfect unity. And sadly, we have long been known for division, infighting, and disunity. 2,000 years before the United Methodist Church that is now about to implode and drop, and many have dropped the title of United Methodist, and even revised their book of discipline, the incarnate word prayed that his followers would be one. If you have King James, you may have unity in this text. You may have the word one. The very Greek word is the word for one or single. We'll talk about that briefly in a bit. And as Jesus faced the cross, think about that. In fact, I am going to share, tell you right now, Sandra, Sandra's here. I always know Sandra, Sandra, I, I, I mispronounce many things. Uh, we're going to do communion at the front of the service next week. Because think about this text that we've been in. From chapter 14 till now, it's taken place the night before he's to be crucified. They've just finished the Lord's, the Last Supper. And he has told them some of the deepest teaching he could possibly reveal to them. And in the midst of all that, knowing that death on a cross is waiting for him the next day, he pauses to pray for himself, for his disciples, and future followers that they might be one with the Father as he is the one with the Father and have that same love that the Father has for one another. So join with me, please as we look at this powerful section of John 17, beginning at verse 20, as Jesus prays for unity. My prayer is not for them alone. He is alluding to the disciples that he's just prayed for. I pray also for all those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one or unified. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, we heard that last week, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's confirmation of who he is. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. 
new term, righteous father. He's called him holy father. And I think uh, verse 11 in the, earlier in the chapter, but now he says righteous father. Through the, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Very much the same language that he talks about the Holy Spirit being in and beside, being in love with the Father. Let the Father's love radiate through him in us. Pray with me, please. Lord, as I said, there's a lot of uh, guilt I have for priding myself as Baptists. Sometimes we say where two or three are gathered, there'll be two or three churches. Because it seems like we can't get along. But the prayer that your son lifts up for believers such as me and, and each one of these pews is that we would be in unison in love. Help us to understand what that being united or being in unity or unified means for us in our Christian walk. Speak to us through these words in these most divisive of times in which we live. For I pray this in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. So as I said, Jesus has prayed for his disciples, and not only has he prayed for them, but all that those, all those who will believe in him because of the message that he shared with them that he was God's son, or is God's son, came to them, came from the Father. The Father, he and I are one. What's his is mine, what mine is his. And he is saying, I'm praying for them so that they will understand that and others will come to know you because of the message of those disciples. And likewise, you could stop the clock right now. In 2023, if we don't share the gospel with anyone else, the Christian world will cease to exist. We are here to spread that same message that came to us through another preacher, another Sunday school teacher, through a dear friend, someone shared with you the good news of Jesus. So he is praying that we would be one, that we would be united. Could I say, and make it more my understanding, that we have something in common that unifies us. And I think we must be united in a common purpose. And that's our first point, united or unified in purpose. Now, Christ is not just praying for unity and love, and you'll see that in the latter part. We'll get to that. But an adherence to the revelation that the Father gave to the first disciples through him, the Son, Jesus. The knowledge of the Father and of the Son that they accepted and then passed on. Once again, how important it is for us to pass on what we know. I could take a side car note, which I always do because I like cars. How many of you men or women taught your children how to change a tire? Or maybe your daddy or your mommy taught you. Because if not, you might get a phone call like I did in Okinawa from my oldest one saying, Dad, I've had a flat tire. I showed you that before you left or I left. Yeah, but talk me through it. You need to share the gospel each and every day with those around you. Be unified in purpose, and that is that focus of that unity. Christ prays that we will be unified in his purpose of sharing who the Father is 
through him with his love and forgiveness and our salvation we can receive. I recently had someone visit our church. Actually came in during the week. And uh, I'm not looking around in case they're here, which is okay if they are. Because I was honest, and I'll be honest now. They wanted to know what we thought about the Bible. Well, we're Baptists. That ought to say something that we think about the Bible. Didn't ask me what version of the Bible I preached from, but that would say something then about them too, right? Or where their thoughts were. Wanted to know a little bit about where I was on, was I amillennialist, premillennialist, postmillennialist, what I was thinking about the second coming. Like, okay, haven't talked about that in a while, but I can. And then a little bit about the modern world. You know, do you see something happening in Israel before Christ comes back again? You know, so once again, more end times. Now, all great questions if you're looking for a new fellowship. Good things to know. What, what are they teaching in that particular church? But that person never asked me, nor do I know if I would have. So please don't hear me uh, degrading the person who asked me those questions because that person never asked me, how does this church go about sharing the gospel? Because that should have been the first point I should ask at any church. How do you share the gospel? What are you doing every day, you know, programmatically or serendipitously, is that the right word, serendipitously? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Are you just making it happen? Is it naturally happen, or are you intentional in sharing the gospel? That is a unified purpose, to share the gospel that we must have. And Jesus prays to the Father that we should receive it. That purpose, because of this prayer, that we might be empowered might be given the motivation to go and accomplish this task. He doesn't pray that we would all look alike. Amen, right? I talked about good looks, all of it up here behind me. That we would dress alike. That we would all drive Fords. Or even that we would all speak Spanish. He doesn't say that, but bear with me. Without picking on different denominations, we all know if I uh, wasn't driving a car and maybe riding in a buggy, you might know what denomination I'm a part of. Or perhaps if uh, you're a lady and you have a long dress on and your hair is more up on your head, you say, okay, I know what kind you are. Uh huh. Or then some of you might have been around as I was. Uh, they might drive their cars, but they're all painted black. And, uh, yeah, so I'll tell you about later. But they're usually, uh, the chrome is all gone because no flashiness in the world. There are many denominations that you can tell because they all look alike. In fact, there was a day you probably, uh, I'm going to go back a few years. You know, it, well, if you ever showed up at a meeting with a tie on and a coat, what are you, a Baptist preacher? Well, yes, I am. But there was a time that the yellow polka-dotted tie was in style. Those of you who remember that? No, some of you don't. Okay, some of you saying, press on, Cliff. Okay. Jesus is not saying, let them all look alike, but he is saying, let them all love like the Father. He doesn't say they all got to drive Fords, but he does say they all need to be driven by my message. He doesn't say you got to wear pants or not wear pants, although I prefer you wear pants in church or shorts. He does say, pick up and put on the full armor of God. Our ladies will be talking about that next month. And he doesn't say you've got to speak Spanish, although it would help in San Antonio, and I wish I did. But he does say, speak the language of love. 
I read a little book while I was in seminary. Well, I read a couple there. I think I read two. And then I had to read some more when I went to Boston for a period of training that the Air Force sent me to. It was at Boston University, Methodist School, so I always give credit to the Methodists. They gave us uh, military chaplains a discount, so we got to go to a very expensive school. Well, Uncle Sam was paying for it anyway, but Uncle Sam got the discount because the Methodists extended it to all uh, the chaplains who would attend. I had to read a book by Martin Buber, B-U-B-E-R, a rabbi who was in the midst of uh, Nazi Germany, uh, he lost his job teaching at a uh, university in Frankfurt, I, was, I think it was Frankfurt, and um, went on to Israel. And in his book, and I was going to go pull it out today, almost left, because that's what I was searching here. I couldn't remember the name of the title. I just remember it's red. I can probably find it on my bookshelves. But he talks so much about the diversity of community and how we are to focus on the similarities and we are to walk this fine line, even though knowing there's differences on that side and differences on that side. And it was driven so hard by this particular professor. I think I, of course, was actually at um, Andover Newton Seminary. Going to Boston, you could take uh, classes at any of the seminaries in the Boston area. Um, and this professor drove it day and day, and you had to write these little handouts. I mean, he'd give us like a question. You had to write something the next day about what the discussion that had happened the day prior. And he would put on it a check, a check plus, or a check plus plus. Now, I was always probably a check student, not a check plus plus student. But during that entire semester, everything I, was, I got was almost always check plus or check plus plus. Until there was a day that we talked about a student in the class who had, he was in a doctoral program, and one of the people that they had hired at his church, um, their lifestyle was so contrary to the rest of the church that, um, they were wanting to remove the person from their position. This was in 1995, so that just shows you uh, how things have changed even now. And the professor wanted us to write that up and how they should do it, and I tried to write it up with my Baptist, you know, mindset that they probably should have never hired that person. I mean, it was probably a wrong hire, although the church thought that they were progressive thinking in one way when it came to them face to face they couldn't be so it was okay that you know let that person go that's the first time I got a minus he did not like me not saying that it was okay for everybody to be different and I'm saying that in this context of unity today because it is okay to be different but there are some things that we must stay and stand fast to Another author of the Holocaust time, uh, Buber left and went to Israel and, and uh, avoided Hitler's uh, death camps. But uh, those of you who are familiar with uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor, teacher, scholar, who came back to the United States during the rise of the Nazis in Germany, but went back to Germany and would be hung because of his outspokenness and also accusations that he had helped try to assassinate, or Zealand plan to assassinate Hitler. Thank you. There's the water drop again. We had that last week. Must be some big spiritual movement when that happens. We need more baptisms. That's what that's about. <laughs> the water's here. We'll turn it on if you need it. Um, but Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together. And it's a little short book, and, and I had to pull it out again because his first chapter, I think it is, has to do with community. And, and I had all these quotes I was going to read to you. Let me just try to summarize it this way. He and I want to get his one word. He uses, he says... <clears throat> that the Christian community for many 
is a wish dream. That we wish everybody saw the same thing, looked the same way, behaved the same way, felt the same way, but we're not. And he will go on to say, let me just read you some of his exact quotes because it's better for you to hear it exactly for him versus you think it's Cliff's opinion because I think he's spot on on this. You and I have no right or reason to be disillusioned when our wish dream doesn't meet our expectations. How many of you know people that go from church to church looking for that perfect church? I don't think you'll find it this side of glory. For it is somehow in our very experience of this community, not meeting our hopes and dreams, that we actually finally discover our life together. Not because we necessarily like one another or agree with one another, but because of the ways in which all of our struggles are similar and we each are enabled to see more clearly of the grace and forgiveness of what Christ has done. Christ died for this and these and no other. With all of our warts, all of our struggles, all of our hurts, and yes, sometimes even when we hurt others. This is where God put us, and this is who God put us with to learn and to grow with. That is his challenge. This glory is best experienced among those who can examine their own faults. You ever think that the reason the church that you visited wasn't the right one? It might have been you. That we examine our own faults and recognize our need for God, which is exactly what he wants us to do. You can borrow that book from me this week if you want to see it. I'll, I'll stop right there. Let me give something more the young people might be aware of. You see the Black Panther? Did you see that movie, the Marvel movie? Yeah. What's the main actor's name? Is it Chadwick or? Chadwick? Bose, Bo, see, I want to say like Beaumont. No, it's Bozeman, something like that, right? I have it down my notes, but I've just seen if anybody else was paying attention. Thank you. Dave pays attention. He's got his wife elbowing him if he dozes off. He's in Black Panther. He's in a couple other good movies, and uh, obviously he, he passed away from uh, cancer uh, about three years ago, I think it, uh, in his uh, late 40s, or early 40s. I think he was born in 76, so mental math, yeah. Um, probably 46 or so when he died. He... Um, kept on acting and made several of these really good movies while he was in the midst of cancer treatment, never letting anyone know. And before he died, he was the uh, commencement speaker at his own alma mater, Howard University. And let me share with you just a couple of his thoughts as we think about our own problems, our own needs uh, to overcome and to have purpose. He says, sometimes you'll need to feel the pain and sting of defeat to activate the real passion and purpose that God predestined inside of you. God says in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And later in that that same speech, he would say, you would rather find purpose than, you'd do better to find purpose than a job or a career. Purpose crosses all your disciplines. Purpose is an essential element of you. It is the reason you are on this planet at this particular time in history. Whatever you choose, whatever career path, 
Remember the struggles along the way are meant to shape your purpose. We are to be unified in purpose of sharing the gospel. Share him with others. Share his love, the love that you have received for sinners such as I, Christ died, and share that. So unified in purpose. And secondly, unified in love. Unified in love. So distinct and different we are, we're still united in purpose to share the gospel and to share it in love. Do we really love the lost? We are called to. We are to love as the Father loved us. Look at verse 25. There's that new term, righteous father, meaning just, correct, innocent, upright, virtuous. Jesus teaches us that title and also the title of holy father, which is one set apart, one who is, you know, has the weight of glory upon him. He calls upon the righteous holy father, praying that the love Christ has made known to his followers will be in them as he is in them. Now, you've heard lots of sermons about love, I'm sure, right? We know we're Christians by our, yeah, yeah. Mostly know we're Baptists by our infighting. Um, I have uh, not really a love of baseball. I played baseball. I played on the same, we had Cory League where I'm from. I don't know, is Cory League around here? Do we have that? Is that? more of a Midwest than that side of the country. It was the Little League, if you will, and they called it Cory League. But I played with the same guys from second grade through freshman in high school. Even when I played on the high school baseball team, I played that summer after freshman year on the Cory League team. Uh, never very good. You know, Mom and Dad would come and watch me stand as the ball went by, and I didn't swing very often. Uh, you know, you get out in front of it and get hit, you can get on. And you get, you know, that hurts. It hurts when you get older. Doesn't hurt so bad when you're young. Um, but because of the movies that I liked, I watched a Nolan Ryan documentary recently. Had no, I knew who he is, knew his, you know, his success, but not the mountain or level of his success. How many no-hitters he threw. How intimidating he was. And if you haven't seen that, that's on Amazon. And it really it communicates that he's probably a man of faith. It didn't come right out and say he's a Christian and a member of, you know, blah, blah, blah church. But it just seems to convey that he is a, a believer. That, coupled with a uh, grandson playing baseball. Some of you have grandchildren or children that play ball, right? No? Yeah. And you stand in the heat, and half the time you're looking at your watch unless your child is at bat or perhaps near the ball. But um, because of that, I picked up, a, you know, my mind, as those of you who try to understand me, it, it, I'd go after rabbit after rabbit, and it sent me to a, a search about the theology of baseball. Theology of baseball. Did you know baseball is a game of perfection? It is the one game that has more statistics than any other game. They keep, you know, how many pitches were thrown, how many strikes, how many foul balls, you know, how, how they, they keep averages. You, you, you don't really know a uh, quarterback. You would if you watched enough in football, you know, how many uh, 
passes he made were, were actually caught. But you know baseball players by their batting average, correct? And is a batter who bats 700 out there in the major leagues? No. Is a batter who bats 600 out there in the major leagues? Jack, could you bat 600? That means you're getting a hit every six times out of 10. No way, yeah. Actually, if you bat 300, that's three times in 10, you're a pretty good hitter. There's a 300 club. Now, that idea of perfection leads to the idea that's one, one game, I, I, I don't know, I, I've made several errors in every sport I ever played, but they put the errors on the board. Have you ever seen a baseball game and it's innings played, runs, hits, all that kind of stuff? Errors. Errors. And as I was reading this uh, pastor's article on the theology of baseball, he pointed out a player that I had never heard of, but uh, let me get his name here exactly that way if you want to look him up. Uh, he was a Padre, or no, San Francisco, that's the Padres, right? Uh, hang on, it's close enough. You know, David probably knows him. Um, California, we go there. Uh, he was a giant, sorry. Bob Brindley. Bob Brindley made four errors in the same inning. He made two errors on the same play. And then got up to bat later on, hit two home runs in the rest of the game, and drove in four runs in addition to his runs, and they won the game. And that's when the guy said in this article, there is a not only idea of perfection in baseball, there's an idea of grace. But you see, Jesus puts us at bat every day to be unified in love and have this purpose with our faith in him, and he wants us to swing away. Not hitting people and hurting them, but obviously love away. You know, have you ever heard that term, swing away? And, and like we listen to the coaches, you know, it, it's three balls, zero strikes. What do you tell the kid to do at that point? Look really good because if you get another ball, you're going to get on base. But Jesus is saying, if you have an opportunity to swing with your love or my love that I have for you, swing away each and every time you step to the plate. And if you do make an error, there is grace. There is forgiveness. Because there will be some who will reject your love. There will be some who you are spurned by, by even sharing the good news of Jesus. Christ's love cancels all the errors, gives us a fresh start, and Jesus prays that our love might be unified. Another fun thing about baseball, at least with these kid, kid ones, everybody gets cheered, whether they strike out, I mean, as in a good way. Sometime they will change, because I, I know at some age, because we went from the days when I played, you know, attaboy, attaboy, whether you struck out or not, to, you know, trying to, and, and making fun of the other, you know, pitcher's got a rubber arm. None of that's happened yet at this age group. Um, in fact, at the game yesterday that I watched, I turned around because, my grandson wasn't up, and I'm just watching the game behind me. I was just standing in the shade, too. There was a t-ball game going on. And I watched this young man get up, and he swung as hard as he could. And each time he swung, he hit the tee. And the dad is standing in his eyesight telling him, look at the ball. Don't look at me. Because that's what the little guy was doing. He was looking at his dad, wanting his dad's approval. So the dad finally walked away, and the next time he was up bat, he swung and he hit the ball. 
How fixated we all get like that. We're stationed in Korea, and Spencer's left-handed, so the glove goes on the right hand. He is playing a really short left fielder. In fact, probably that's just where the coach put him. He's barely, you know, 20 foot behind the third baseman. And there is a screaming line drive. Brenda and I, and I think Nicholas, are sitting there on the, on the you know, benches or the bleachers just waiting for it to be over. You know, when's, when's the ice cream? When's the soda? We want to go. And this screaming liner comes, and Spencer with this glove goes, don't. <laughs> Looks over at me before he even throws it back. As if to say, ha ha, I was paying attention. <laughs> that is the way we should be looking at the Father. God, I, I want your approval, and I get your approval. I get it anyway, because you love me regardless. But when I love like you have loved me, when we are unified in love, when we are unified in our purpose of sharing the gospel, that's an amazing time, and that's what he wants us to do. So as we get ready to close, consider that Christ is praying for you and me. It is a wonderful thing to know that someone is praying for you. How much more exciting it is to know that the Son of the living God is praying for you and I. And he's praying that we might be unified in telling others about him and that we might be unified in our love for this world and for him. Stand with me, please, as we pray. Lord, as we come now to a time of invitation, and I know that... Uh, we probably missed several strong points in this text, but yet there is grace. And no one's keeping score of errors today. No one here is even taking account of what's going on in the sense of I feel this way and she feels that way. Lord, this is the time in this service to wipe the slate clean. If there's someone here who's carrying, like that player did, four errors in the same inning, and sometimes we've made four errors on our way to church. Got mad at our spouses, got mad at our children, got mad because we couldn't find parking, got mad because we didn't get greeted at the door. Help us to have that love that you have for us, for one another, and not be so concerned that everything is not the way we think it should be, but be concerned about what we're doing with the good news of your son, telling others about Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit in this time of invitation move mightily. I pray if there's someone here who's carrying a burden they need to let go, Lord, that this would be the moment. This would be the time where they can feel the grace that comes and wipes away our errors. Lord, perhaps there's someone here who just wants to have the others of this congregation praying for them. We have prayer warriors that will come and pray with them. Maybe someone here has never come to know you. Let this be the moment they say, I want to believe in the living Savior, Jesus, the one that overcame the grave and the one who tells me to be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.